0: Chapter Eleven of the Yellow Sheet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Yellow Sheet, the LibriVox Nano RIMO Project, 2007. Chapter Eleven, written and recorded by Chris Hughes. Derek watches the trooper's taillights slide away into the night, into the far distance before finally releasing the air brakes. With a shudder, the big machine heaves off, rolling up the gravel shoulder and back onto the interstate. Liz tries not to watch the road, the steady line, the headlights spilling into the unforeseen future. She tries to avert her gaze from the beating reflectors, tries to ignore the thrumming pavement, the warm heat blowing up from the floor. She looks at the dash, reads all the dials and nods, turns her head to the window to look at shadows and silhouettes, the smudged light of a farmhouse, a train in the distance like a shooting star, and blinks. She stretches her arm, flexes her shoulders, squints hard to moisten her eyes. She leans, she presses her face against the cold glass, but inexorably, inexorably drifts, drifts into warm comfort, drifts off to sleep when liz wakes they are at a rest area parked away from the lighted shelter shelved with the other rigs engines running running lights soft and orange and curved along the parking lot like a small coastal village Derek's absence from the driver's seat is betrayed by the sound of soft snoring coming from the cabin and back his nys cap hangs from the wheel like a saddle slung from a rail liz clicks open the door lets herself down checks the duffel at her side and presses the door closed rather than slamming it. She crosses the pavement, powdery soft with frost, and enters the blinking bright shelter building. Inside a man studies a map. A woman with a blonde bob stoops at his side, helping a young boy drink from a can of orange soda. Liz hesitates at the trooper in full uniform, but he's older, grandfatherly and only serving coffee in white, styrofoam cups from a large, dull, silver coffee urn. Around him is a semi-circular array of well-meaning public service pamphlets, earnestly telling us what we already know. Leaning over cold ceramic and icy sink water that numbs her fingers, Liz tries to avoid the gaze of the mirror, the red rimmed eyes, the oily red hair. How long has it been since she's eaten? She pulls out her cell and wonders how many plot devices its invention must have ruined, but not this one, since she can find no signal. Okay, she thinks, an option of one, back to the lunatic in the truck. At least she's stacking up the miles. Back in the cab, it sounds like someone's dropped a spoon in the garbage disposal. Liz waits for the sugar rush of vended goods. Derek stirs, and the garbage disposal noise turns softer. Broccoli, maybe, or Brussels sprouts, and then stops. Throat clearing and rustling follow. His head pops out of the curtain, and for a moment he could be a squirrel. Long hair come loose from his ponytail, cheeks and eyes puffy with sleep, swiveling left, swiveling right, perhaps just a hint of a nose wiggle, testing the breeze. Morning, sugar, he says. That it is, she tells him. He bolts out of the sleeper and plops into the driver's seat, a shaving kit in his lap. Um, he tells her, slapping both hands down on his denim-clad thighs. Right, she says. Don't go anywhere I wouldn't go, he says, and winks and climbs down and out of view. Liz climbs back in the sleeper. She looks in the fridge, open can of beans covered with plastic wrap, a few slices of ash and lunch meat a bag of carrots. She turns and looks under the stained pillows at stained sheets. She opens and closes all of the cabinets, feels under the foam mattress, finding some magazines of a certain nature, tosses the tangled blankets around, spilling out handfuls of wadded up socks. She looks up at the ceiling liner for any other hiding places, but it appears, like most ceiling liners, intact. Back in the passenger seat, she looks in the glove box, feels down into the slot for the logbook, and under both seats, but comes up with nothing more than some peanut shells, a cellophane wrapper, and the carefully crafted device she'd carelessly lobbed at the floor. Carefully crafted, worth likely figured in percentages of GNP, obviously precious to someone, perhaps even someone precious to her, unless, perhaps... Once, anyway, quite a few perhapses ago, too many perhapses for pondering. Life had been nothing but wavering, churning perhapses since its appearance. A crystalline choice, then, finally, another option of one. Simplify, simplify, simplify. She pops off the vent cover and down into the hot, rushing air of the big rig's heating and ventilation unit skitters the absurd amulet. Simplify, 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 enough with boys and their troublesome toys. By the time Derek exits the shelter building, dawn glow has begun to seep over and around the black trees. Elizabeth watches him turn from silhouette into solid object and back to silhouette as he passes through cones of icy xenon light. She watches his flannel shirt flap, watches for a spark of gunmetal, "'for a telltale bulge, his pockets, his back waistband. "'When he tosses the shaving kit between them on the seat, "'furtively she feels two aerosol cylinders, "'a probable bar of soap, various widgets and gadgetry, "'but nothing solid, nothing hand-fitted, "'or hefty and dangerous. "'And so her quarry, a mouse in her house of simplification, remains stubbornly AWOL. "'Ready roll, ma'am,' he says, levering into gear, the truck hissing loose from its overnight moorings. Sure am, she tells him. You don't mind dining on the road, do you? If we keep our pace we can be in Jackson by nightfall. Jackson. No, no, she tells him. On the road is fine. drive throughs frozen burritos, whatever you got, she tells him. Jackson. Jackson sounds fine, she adds. Jackson, he tells her look out jackson here we come and with a grunt the big rig starts coming up to speed miles pass by hours drizzle away the sun coming up cold and hard behind them casting shadows on the blue hood and the road the interstate green highway signs live oak tallahassee alpha mobile little naps broken into little pieces pleasantly uneventful conversation his niece and nephew his beloved Red Sox, the taste of fresh squid on the pier in Monterey. Fragments, disjointed, all balled up and rolling on. Breakfast is on a wet picnic table at a Chick-fil-A. The freight liner parked at the Sunoco across the road where it will fit. They hit a warm hissing rain on the outskirts of, of somewhere. Some bird tucked into suddenly rising hills. Chattanooga, welcome to chattanooga the sun has softened yellowed and when derek opens the cabin door to climb down and fill up it momentarily feels like the aftermath of a late summer thunderstorm simplify stacking up the miles space and muffled distance elizabeth startled momentarily startled when he taps on the glass startled at his bright face in the window by the short cropped hair on his head soft and downy Derek hanging on the side mirror, denim shirt speckling with raindrops. Miss Liza, he tells her, Miss Liza, you should come on out here. It's real pretty and real warm. Pretty and warm. Picturesque. Pretty and warm and picturesque sounds good. Sounds simple. And it is, more or less. Neglecting exurbia, neglecting the throwaway structures, the noisy, exhausted highway. The mountains loom over the Texaco, throwing the orange truck and Derek and herself into gloomy shadows. Sure wish my missus could see this, he tells her. Worst part of over the road, all the stuff I've seen. And he's right, the piquant diesel vapors pinching the senses, murky mountain shadow framing the distant scene, all of it like a postcard, wish you were here, who wouldn't want to be in the distance there? down through that valley, filled with the moist, goldenrod sunlight. The scenes pass on, life through a screen. Tangled, messy, the slide carousel inverted. Cardboard frames that have to be held up to the light to make out the depiction and the depicted. Galveston dead ahead, forest green Peterbilt, haggard in a suede jacket, sleet, Liz. Liz. Dinosaured Sinclair, his ex-wife, Used International, Derek's Daughter, Fresh-Faced, Eliza, Terhout, Next Left, Flying J, Mustachioed, Frontage Road Exit Only, Cotton Oxford, Tulsa by Sunset, Salt Spreaders, E, Timeshare at Lake Havasu, Betty, Franklin, Lady, Combover. Over, vinyl windbreaker, hauling fish on the eastern seaboard, flat-faced white Volvo, sugar again, McKenna, my boys, his boys, Derek's boys, Grand Rapids next right, my teenager, BP, Charlotte bypass, swimming, swimming, Poplar Bluff downtown, always been a Ford man, down vest, Lonely old man, always a lonely old man. Buffalo Arena, three-quarter mile ahead. Watertown, Utica, dollar and a quarter per axle. Barnstable by nightfall. Calamitous crazy day, and when Elizabeth climbs down out of the black sterling Actera with its spacey chrome tank at the knotty pine, she has to put both hands down, palm flat, on the gravel lot. Derek helps her to her feet, helps her to slide the bangled key into the rusty lock of Cottage 12B, helps her draw the curtain closed and onto the springless, lifeless mattress. When Elizabeth wakes, the room is still mostly dark, lit only by bathroom lights spilling onto the suite's carpet, her well-meaning husband screaming down the street, indeed, has slept fitfully and lays, father of her children, uncovered, tucked into a ball. Elizabeth pulls the blankets, considers taking them with her for her troubles, lying protective bastard, deny their children indeed, but instead lays them over him, gently, softly. She quietly slips her clothes from their hangers and goes into the dressing room with its cold marble floor and his and her closets. She dresses in a powder blue running suit, runs her fingers through her closely cropped hair, looks for any of her 35 years and her face in the mirror. They must be there, and more one could easily believe. She slips the car keys from the pocket of his pants, folded over a chair, checks his wallet to make sure he's brought enough cash and credit cards to get back to New York, considers leaving a note on resort stationery, but what would she say? See you later. I still love you, Derek. That she needs to figure this out without pills or anything else they can conjure up? Thanks for the relaxing rest and lovely vacation after my release. That she appreciates the concern and help, but that if he, miserable scumbag that he is, ever tries to have her committed to a psych hospital again, she'll. No, no. Better no note. She kisses him on his damp forehead, takes a last deep breath of his slightly sour but familiar smell, and picks up her suitcase. And so she starts in, living from her car in the envelope of rainy day money that it seems like she's had her whole life, she casts her nets wide. An occasional mom and pop roadside motel for a shower, and a chance to study the theses and dissertations she's lifted from deserted university archives or the text from her various correspondence courses, an occasional small-town library or coffee shop, or highway rest stop for an internet connection, and conference schedules and seminar announcements, and self-published magazine subscriptions, and mail-order guides for creating new documented identities, or building a time radio, or assembling a device for out-of-body viewing with parts from Radio Shack. She has post office boxes and post offices scattered up and down the coast at which she stops intermittently to retrieve her haul, and at which she sometimes uncomfortably sees her picture tacked to a bulletin board, her face in faded inkjet ink under the 30-point type, Beloved Mother, and below, last seen. She intermittently deposits her haul in one of her two rented self-storage units in Massachusetts and New Jersey. She will try it all, up and down the coast from Bar Harbor to Cape May, every boardwalk psychic, tarot card reader, and spiritualist that's thought to set out a neon shingle. She networks. She collects business cards and names and addresses and phone numbers on sticky post-it notes. She subscribes through her assumed names and P.O. box hometowns to 79 different magazines and newsletters, from the slick British UFO journals to single-sheet, single-spaced, double-sided newsletters, advertised under such headings as Paul's Unknown Mysteries of the Universe. Yearly subscription, $6. Self-addressed stamped envelope to P.O. Box 1232 to dry pseudo-profound quarterlies like ad nauseum. She's joined the Rosicrucians. She's traveled throughout the interior, hotels, universities, civic centers, shopping malls, YMCAs, any gathering she gets wind of, Lectures on string theory and super string theory and hyper string theory, brain world and folded dimensions and Casimir effects, and the Calabi-Yau manifold support groups for persons believing they've seen aliens or been abducted by aliens or are aliens. Sometimes it's time travel, and the desperately sincere devotees speak in hushed, reverential tones of the traveler they personally know and their instructions for attaining a better life while saving the world. Even if the subject matter doesn't pertain, or it's obvious the only secret the sponsor knows is the transmogrification of gullibility into cold hard cash, she goes. She drinks their thin, scalding coffee, eats their packaged cookies, sits on the hard metal fold-out chairs. Perhaps, she thinks, perhaps one of the other attendees, perhaps she'll meet someone like her. Of all these people, there must be at least one other trying to make sense, who is living the same slippery life, or at the bare desperate minimum, is ready to admit to the possibility of such a life. But after months and months of this, of narrowing leads and winnowing the fields, after speaking with the shy grandmothers, the hippies, the beer-bellied vets with authentic tinfoil hats, tiny spectacled men with allusions to former lives at Langley, all the nuts, the whack jobs, the burnouts and the dreamers, the gullible and the out and out psychotic, all the believers. She's left with one more and more imperturbable, unshakable, unmistakable conclusion. Derek was right. She must be nuts. So, down to one crystalline conclusion, and Occam would be proud simplify 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 and simplify she had. Liz checks into the same Nantasket beach resort where she'd left Derek sleeping fitfully 12 months and 20,000 miles before. She needs to steel herself for the one final heartbreaking circuit to close the P.O. boxes to empty out the storage units and then she'd head home home to New York and whatever hospitalization and concerned professionals that might entail. But even with this crystalline conclusion she sleeps a fitful sleep. The dreams, lucid and semi-lucid, keep coming. Mushroom clouds, bullet trains, women in red, women in costume, women tied to chairs with duct-taped mouths, semi-trucks with mottled, morphing drivers that just won't shut up, a high-rise inferno, her, naked in a field of blue tulips, on a beach under a yellow moon, More than once she awakens, believing some dark figure stands at the foot of her bed. Perhaps one night is not going to be enough. Perhaps this is what it's all going to be like from now on. Perhaps she should just get up. Get up to clear her head. Perhaps a drive, and she can try again. With this last thought, she rises and goes into the bathroom to dress. Looking into the mirror, she must admit the year this year of living dubiously has been good for her her hair has grown long and drapes over her bare shoulders in spite of the restless sleep her face is unlined her eyes clear and bright aegean blue she's lost weight her muscles toned and she's become an expert and semi-expert in dozens of subjects both legitimate and some not so clear classical and modern physics of course but also the ins and outs of the Novikov self-consistency principle, Everett and Deutsch's work on the many worlds theory, quantum mechanics and quantum entanglement, and Tipler cylinders, and religion, spirituality, psychology, and other belief systems, meditation, psychonautics, and the tryptamine family of semi-synthetic substances, the design and manufacture of microelectronics, pharmopsychology and neuroscience, Reduplicative Paramnesia and the Cotard Delusion, Evolution and Neurotheology, Meta-Man, Metaverses, and Mutation, dsm 4 Brain Chemistry and Neurohormone Secretion, The Amygdala, Residence of Memory, Alzheimer's, Lyme, Parkinson's, and Morgellons disease, Syphilis, Epilepsy, and Dystonia, and most poignantly, Gadell's Incompleteness Theorem. Even if she hasn't found THE answer, she's located herself, and is well-armed to take on anything man-made society can throw at her. Even though the night is cool, she drives with the windows down to listen to the urgent surf, the wind whipping the seagrass, just detectable above the crisp air, the comforting salty smell of the ocean. She drives through the empty, off-season parking lots, down by the deserted boardwalk, down by the empty beach, finally turning onto a narrow road, winter dunes encroaching and occasionally covering the pavement. The road was marked private drive, but the beach houses are dim and vacant. doesn't matter if some wandering patrol car should come across her now. The road winds and twists, and with the dunes on either side obscuring her vision, she's probably driving faster than she should, but it's just her out here, and only soft sand on either side. She rounds a bend, and bang in the middle, startled in her headlights, is the tallest man she's ever seen again. The tallest man she's ever seen, from the wild wind blown hair to the enormous Adam's apple, like he swallowed a pizza box on end, glows in the headlamps, positively luminous, and looks rightfully horrified and bang the tallest man she's ever seen again is coming over the hood and tumbling under her windshield and she rightfully so is skidding to a gritty stop she's seen this tallest man now blinking his eyes at her through the windshield before he sat in the back row at the lecture on the born rule just this afternoon up in peabody a few weeks before she ran into him at the refreshment table after an out-of-body support group meeting over in Woonsocket. Till now he's kept to himself, and she's not been able to speak to him. Hello? she asks. Uh, he tells her, sprawled across the car hood, face pressed against the glass. Hello? You alright? she asks. Uh-huh, he slowly says, and then give me a moment, and just a moment, please. And then, hi. Hi, she tells him. Are you okay? I don't know, he says. Am I? Are you bleeding? I don't think so. You're awake, that's positive. Everything looks to be at the correct angles. Mm Mm-hmm, he says, and lifts his head. Maybe you shouldn't move, she tells him. ''Perhaps,'' he says. ''But how will I know?'' he asks. ''Okay,'' she tells him, and then... ''But if anything hurts, starts to hurt, worse, you know, lay back down, okay?'' ''Cell phone?'' ''Yeah, okay.'' And he comes up on all fours. ''No, no, no, no cell phone. It's philosophical,'' he tells her, crawling down off of the hood. ''A choice.'' I prefer my own distractions to those of others. Finally, raising up to his own height, he puts his hands on his hips and stretches backward and forward and side to side and then looks at her from bottom to top. I know you, he tells her. "Mm Mm-hmm, she tells him. Where do I know you from? You're not a neighbor. No, no, I'm not. This is a private road, you know. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. Terribly sorry. It's the middle of the night, you know. Yeah, terribly, terribly sorry. Really, you have no idea, she tells him. And then, can I take you somewhere? Home? The hospital? Were you out here on foot? Where's your car? I could have been killed. The probability was not insignificant, you realize, he tells her. Where do I know you from? Around, I suppose. I've been around. So, lift. No. You've been around, perhaps, but around's not, you know, my scene. How about a seat in the car? Get your bearings. My bearings are fine. Never been better. Yeah, okay. A seat in the car, he tells her. Okay, great, she tells him. A seat is likely in order, he says. Hmm, he tells her. You've been around. You've been driving like a madwoman up a dark, deserted, off-season private beach road. Yeah, she tells him. A madwoman. That's me. You're out running down strangers in the middle of the night with your windows down on a somewhat... Intemperate, I might call it. Intemperate, windy night. To what do I owe this pleasure? Just, you know, driving. Just driving, he tells her. Couldn't sleep, he adds. No, couldn't sleep. Aiming for a reboot. Hmm, reboot. You? Me? Me what? I was minding my own business as what? he tells her and after a pause I was looking for my dog actually she runs off she loves me loves the house loves her bed but eh, she runs off your dog yeah I think my ex-wife put her up to it yeah yeah so she could tell people I was out looking for her a lot of work went into it my wife's humor I mean Carefully planned, plotted, and constructed. She was a follower of the neo-constructionist school of gags. Gags? Yeah. She named the dog Epiphany, just so she could say to people. And I've heard her do this, on the phone, at the door. <laughs> she's probably written it in an email. Don's looking for an epiphany. Or the professor's out seeking an epiphany. Funny. I don't think it works those two little letters A and N kinda mess it all up don't you think throw it off kilter she could have went with himself or religion or reason or even later his dignity now that would have been funny he laughs And she was an expert on possessive pronouns he laughs again Of course now it would just be silly I suppose what would I say to you I'm looking for his dignity A joke with a too narrow perspective, and apparently an expiration date, don't you think? Pie, he wants to know. Pie, Elizabeth says. A lift, you wanted to know, he tells her. So pie, a lift to a diner, over in Cahasset. All night, great cherry, he tells her, and pointing to his face. I think this is going to be black and blue before the night is out, so consider it the steel hand of Hammurabian justice. An eye for a pie. Okay, pie, she says, and puts the car in gear. Don't worry, he tells her. The local constabulary hang out at the other diner. Constabulary, she says. Yeah, cops. You're running from something. A twitchy, bat-out-of-hell madwoman. I don't know. Maybe cops. No, well... I'm not asking. I don't want to know. Keep your own distractions and such, you know, he tells her. Hmm. Husband, perhaps. Ex husband? Maybe all of them. Aha! Wave function collapse in the Copenhagen interpretation lecture. That's it. No, wait. Fourth row, third seat from the left. Susan Clancy's talk. Hmm, he adds. You have been around. Yep, told you. I recognized you from the start. You know who I am? No, I mean when I went around the bend, in the headlights, my first thought. I know that guy, and bang. Hmm, he tells her. Thump, she says, and shakes her head. I don't know you. I've just seen you around, I think, at some of these things I go to. It's sometimes hard to say. Oh, she says. Don't worry about Epiphany. She'll come home. She can get in through the downstairs. Just one of my own distractions. Searching for her, I should say. A reasonable excuse for wandering. Reasonable excuse, she wants to know. Sure. Insufficient, reasonable excuses, and it all goes to shambles, don't you think? You lose causality, and then you start thinking you can do anything. You're a strange man. What was it? Don? That's right, Don and you are other than a strange woman I mean well that's the three hundred and sixty billion dollar question isn't it she tells him the tallest man she's ever seen holds his cup of coffee wrapped in two enormous hands up to his chin and blows across it he studies her like this over the rim as it were and says it's him or you think it is pardon she says that's what you're pursuing or what's chasing you you think it's your husband your marriage you're losing yourself in intellectual pursuits maybe hoping to meet someone you're presumptive perhaps it's a long confused story and the coffee is bottomless well you've got it wrong (laughs) it's not unheard of You'd be surprised how much progress one can make by going ahead and being wrong. It makes no sense. Little does, he tells her. Even the stuff we think we know, just shiny edges, just enough to grab onto, lift it into the air and call it ours. If I could tell this story, she says, and takes a sip of coffee, if I could tell this story, I wouldn't have a problem. Or at least no one would think I did. suppose that's something else I have to look forward to, trying to tell this story in a professional setting. A husband doesn't understand you. How could he? I don't understand me. He means well. Maybe that's enough. It's a lot, he tells her. Never underestimate meaning. Ha! She tells him, meaning another swallow of scalding coffee start at the beginning he says I'm not sure there is one or which one the middle then christen at your beginning and go we could have the waitress bring a bottle of champagne for smashing I mean and smiles I have these these I guess episodes is the parlance but it's not that's their term me, I don't have a term. Episodes? No, no, not episodes. They think I might be sick. Sick? Sick, as in not well. Not normal, as in abnormal. The last time I tried to tell this story, they tried to lock me up. Who? Liz sighs. My well-meaning bastard husband. I thought he knew I was as is. That's the agreement, right? As is, as was, as forever will be. I thought if anyone could help me keep track, it would be... And another sip of coffee. Ah, so you are a mad woman then. And a fork of pie. Seizures? Paul on the road to Tarsus? Premonitions? Dreams? He actually told them I went running, screaming down the street like some crazy person. I don't feel like a crazy person. Hmm. No, 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 and no. Hard to say. Seizures, episodes, even dreams imply the passage of time, right? But these are instants. In the middle of chopping onions, they linger in my head, but I'm still there chopping onions. I've never left. No one would even know if I hadn't mentioned it. No unexplained absences. Those were fiction. What's he going to tell them? She tells crazy stories? Ah, the unintended consequences of intimacy. And some people want to read minds. I've met a few. He told them I denied our children. They're like memories and a bite of pie. You're right, this is good, she tells him. But they're not. False memories? Who knows? No, not memories. I mean, in memories, you're always younger, right? Memories imply past. But that is how I experience these, like memories, but without implication of past. Some are, don't get me wrong. Set in the past, I mean. I'm a student. I'm a little girl. And in others, you're older? Right. Older, wiser, seemingly. But someone else. Someone I'm not. Someone I don't think I could be. From here, I mean, I don't see how this person, enjoying her pie and coffee, and another bite of pie, could become that person. I don't know, running through Potsdamer Plots in Berlin. I see. Or eating a strange meal in a Shinjuku high-rise with vivid snow falling past the windows. It's, it's like I've lived from both ends at once. I see, he tells her. The same people, in and out, real people. I've known some of them my whole life. Derek, that's my husband, shows up, but he's not. Just a mess, really. nonlinear pastiche of my imagined lives. You know, what we need here is a chinchilla. <laughs> and he laughs. Never mind, something I read once. And he laughs again. So like dreams, then no I asked myself that at first was I just narcoleptic but dreams are no matter how clearly remembered their beginnings are fuzzy their endings abrupt if I let myself she tells him I think I could if I worked at it go forward or backward from any of them and would all be there have you tried maybe they hook up you know rewind fast-forward rewind See if you're on the same reel. Maybe you're not. You're a little frightening to hold on to. I mean, it feels like walking down steps, and if you start thinking about walking down steps, well, you know where that leads. Falling through space, and that's the last thing I need. What do you mean not? Just a thought have you heard of coffee the waitress wants to know how was the pie just a top-up then she tells them and begins pouring splashing on the formica top whoopsie it's okay I won't charge you for that she tells them and spins away jabbering jabbering there's something else Elizabeth tells him something that really gives me doubts this is my shakiest okay so don't run away now thanks for everything if you do You've been great. And walk, he tells her, on a dark night like tonight? Sounds dangerous. I could be run over. Yeah, okay. Well, sometimes, Don, chopping onions, say, I'll have like dirt under my nails. I'm chopping onions. I'm wandering in Montana. I'm running from a bomb. I'm hanging from a cliff. I'm chopping onions. I have dirt under my nails. Now I'm chopping onions, right? What would I be doing chopping onions with dirt under my nails, Don? Can you tell me that? Certifiable, right? Huh, he tells her. He don't say, and he grins. And the legal pads, the disappearing legal pads, she says. Elizabeth, Don says. We know, she explains. Well, I wish someone would bloody well tell me, then. Elizabeth, Don asks, and grabs her shaking hands. Do you have a passport? Huh? Passport? She blinks. Well, I have a passport. Okay, then. Let's get it. There is someone who wants to meet you. End of chapter 11